I'm going to start with scripture, um, and we're going to go from there. All right, this is uh, Acts 16, 25 to 34. This is the letter, uh, this is about Paul and Silas when they're in prison, and um, there's an earthquake. Prior to this, what lands them in prison is they are basically preaching the gospel in the city of Philippi, and uh, there's this chick following them, this kid following them around who's like super uber prophetic, and she's actually demon-possessed, and she is making her parents a bunch of money because she's able to tell fortunes. And so, you know, and, and she's walking around saying, these men are preaching that by Jesus you will be saved. But Paul knows that it's a demon, and he just gets fed up with her, and eventually he just says, look, in the name of Jesus, leave. And the demon's cast out. She can't tell fortunes anymore. And the parents get mad, or the people in charge of her get mad at Paul and Silas because they've lost their way to earn money. And they take him before the magistrates, and they basically say, he's screwing up business in town, and yada, yada, yada. And they intimidate him. They get angry with him. And uh, they end up, you know, basically, they're, they're Roman citizens, but they just, it doesn't matter. They just strip them of their clothes, and they start to beat them. They beat them and beat them and beat them. And then they end up throwing them not only into prison, but then ultimately into, like, solitary confinement is what the Scripture says. And so all of that's taking place, and this is where the story takes, kind of takes root and begins. So let's, uh, let's look at that. I'm going to go over to your side. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Come on now. I could just do, like, we're talking about worship. I could just stop there, couldn't I? You know, talk about in tribulation, but that's not even what my talk's on. That's free, all right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, but supposing kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Father, we pray this morning that as we look at this text and we follow your spirit, and discern what you're doing and saying to River City Church this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts, that you would show us the truth of this story, and that that truth would bring transformation in our lives. Just come, Holy Spirit, now. Open our hearts. This word would take root. That your word, the living word, would take root and bring transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll say, where I began with this sermon, it's taken like four turns. I turned to Laura whenever we were just worshiping. I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to preach on this morning. 
I have tons of notes. I read like eight commentaries last night. I was sick. People prayed for me. I felt great. I'm like, this is going to be a doozy. This is going to be an awesome sermon. God's doing something. Where this sermon began was right here. We had super, holy, on Thursdays, we do Holy Spirit Throwdown. We turn off all the lights. We move all the chairs. And we just kind of go crazy. We call it the Holy Spirit Throwdown. We crank the music so you can't hear or see anyone or nothing. And the staff spread out in the room. And we just go nuts, though. And that's where, I, you know, you probably wonder, where's he like, getting those kicking dance moves up front? Like, what's he doing? You know? I know Brooke's back. She's like, what's gotten into Antley? She comes into town for a little while. But literally, on this day, I'm up front, and I'm, pay- I'm like, and there's like chairs right here. I always get in the front, because if I don't see anybody, I'm like, then I'll cut loose a little more. You know, if I see people in front of me, I'll like start thinking about people, right? So I'm up front, and there's all the chairs are stacked over here. And I realize I'm like doing one of these numbers. And I'm like worshiping, singing, and praising, you know. Doing, and I'm normally doing like my worship angel and stuff like that, jumping around, going nuts. You know, Ed rips his shirt off and runs around. I can't say that about the rest of the staff, but, you know, we're doing stuff like that. But I realize I'm pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. God gives you this picture of a lion. And he says, you're like this lion. You've been released from this cage. And then he gives me this scripture about an earthquake and how, you know, and basically this... <laughs> It's funny because we're not going to preach on it today, but it's going to come into it, I think, somewhere. So he's like, you're this lion. He goes, Antley, you're a lion, and, you're, and lions eat zebras. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so I'm like, Lord, where is this going? And so I then have this picture, and this is all happening in worship, all right? And when I say worship, I mean we're like going for it, worship, like, you know, charging the throne here. And uh, I have this picture of me like running as a lion, right? And I see you guys, some of you. I'm not gonna, I don't remember faces or anything. And your zebras. I'm sorry, but your zebras. And God says, there are no place, there is no place in my kingdom for zebras. Zebras are food for lions, period, end of story. And he says, Antley, you are gonna eat zebras. At that point, I felt like the Lord said, Antley, you're gonna write a book, and it's called I Eat Zebras. And I thought, I'm sure that won't sell. But anyway. I saw myself chasing these people down and eating them. And there were zebras, and I was eating. I was, like, gobbling them up, eating them. And then they were turning into lions. They were turning into lions. It was amazing. And I thought, wow. And, 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 and it turns out that's more of what God was speaking to me. That day I went out to lunch with this very pleasant, timid woman. And... Uh, I just, I left the room, you can imagine, oh, God, I want to be that person. I want to be who you call me to be. I want to be someone who brings transformation to people. I want to be a leader that doesn't settle for a church full of zebras. I want a church full of lions. And uh, I went to lunch that day with this powerful, timid woman who didn't believe or doesn't, struggles to believe, she does now, believe who she is. And um, I just spoke truth into her life, and I just loved her and said, you are powerful. You need to have people praying for you. You need to understand the role that you have in our church is significant and very unique. And I sell this stuff, right? And like, it was great. It was really encouraging. I get back in the car and God says, literally, you just ate a zebra who's now a lion. That's what it feels like. That's what it's like. But in the midst of that, God gave me the scripture when we were worshiping. And he said, In the scripture, he said, Paul and Silas are lions. They're great examples of lions. When there are earthquakes in life, when there are earthquakes and things fall apart, when there are things going on that we can't explain, lions choose to stay 
and share the gospel instead of running. Lions choose to lions choose danger. Lions choose risk. Lions don't choose the world. Lions do things that nobody else does. He says, Anthony, your role as a church leader is to find the zebras, eat them, and make them lions. You know, and I think there's a little bit of zebra in all of us. But if we're in the kingdom of God, if we're people who serve the king, the lion of Judah, we are built to be lions, folks. I mean, and, and I talked about temperament last week. And there are different shapes, flavors, and, you know, kinds of lions. But ultimately, we are made to be people. When we see zebras, we devour them. When we see people who are timid and don't understand who they are, we take control. When we see people outside of the kingdom of God, we advance the kingdom of God. This story, as I've studied it, it's been interesting. I've learned, you know, I just love my job because I get to learn things that I've never, I mean, I never would have looked into the story the way that I have. But one of the things that this story has taught me is one of the things we're going to talk about at the town hall meeting. And I really do hope you all can come tonight if you're coming to the town hall. This is a great talk that sets it up. Is that we're different as a church. We're very different as a church. And there are things that we're doing that, that make us unique. And I believe it's the purpose that God has called us to. And us figuring out what that uniqueness is, we're accountable for, we need to be good stewards of. And I'm going to be talking about that tonight. But one of the things that makes us unique is that we believe that the gospel is multidimensional. What I mean by that is that if someone has a physical need, we believe the solution for that physical need is the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't we? I mean, we believe that God will bring solution in every area and dimension of our life, regardless of what's happening, regardless of what the situation is, regardless of the storm. But how we minister the gospel, we believe, can look very different. If, for example, there's a, you know, there's a single mom who comes into River City Church, and she can't pay her electric bill, or she has uh, financial issues with, you know, child support, or she has, it's ha- I almost just broke my ankle in that hole, and, uh, or, 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 or she has um, issues with uh, education for her child that she's trying to get education, or she can't find a job and get to work on time and pick her kid up for childcare, all these things. And we say, Jesus loves you, and go on your way, and... Jesus loves you. Just believe that Jesus loves you and everything will be okay. Then we're not really ministering to our need. And we, we learned last week when we read that scripture. What was that scripture, Steve? Is that on there? About sending them on their way. If we haven't clothed them, if we haven't done these things, what good is it? Faith without works is dead. He's looking for it. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, I wish, I wish to keep you warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is dead. If not accompanied by action, it's dead. And we believe at River City Church that faith needs to be accompanied by action in real and practical ways. That's why we have the fellowship fund. That's why we move along and do life with people. That's why we have the White House, the street corner ministry. That's why we, we do what we do. We believe that the gospel, we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is emotional, spiritual, and physical. But the bottom line is that it's still Jesus who does all the work. Jesus is the one who brings salvation. Jesus is the one who brings healings and hope to someone who's a single mom, who has worries, who has fear, who has all the bigger issues. He is the only one who can bring rest. And so we preach the gospel and the truth, but we live it out with deeds, right? Right? 
That's what we do. Okay? I'm not setting you up. I'm not going to say, you don't do that, you're not going to heaven. Okay? So you can just like answer. That's an obvious yes. We do that. And that's one of the things that makes us different. Because, again, the danger with Christianity is that we say, believe in the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. Just believe in the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. That's not doing crap for my electric bill getting paid. That's not helping me in my marriage right now, dude. That doesn't help me with the issue I'm having with my kids and what school they're going to go to next year. Just believe in the name. I mean, and that's one of the hits against Christianity, unfortunately, is that we treat everything so one-dimensional that we don't minister the gospel like Jesus did. And we read verses like this. What should I do to be saved? Believe in the name of Jesus. Profess Jesus with your mouth and you'll be saved. But actually, that's not even the question the jailer was asking. The question the jailer was asking had nothing to do with eternal salvation. What do you, what, what? I'll prove it to you. Put that scripture back up there. No, no, not that one. The Acts one. So it's midnight. Paul and Silas are in there. Homeboy prisoners in there. He's put them on the inner, you know, in the inner sanctuary where they can't get out, and he falls asleep. All right. Meanwhile, Paul and Silas are singing worship songs. Okay. He wakes up, and the doors to the jail are open. Okay. He's like, "Oh my goodness, the doors of the jail are open. I got to kill myself because in the Roman law, what it says is that for every prisoner that escapes, we demand a life." So he sees the prison doors open, and in his mind he goes, oh boy, not only, have the few, not only has one prisoner escaped, but the prison is probably empty, which means they will demand a life for every person that is left, which means that my whole family is in jeopardy of being beaten and ultimately potentially killed. And so he runs through that scenario quickly in his mind. He pulls out his sword and he's like, I don't want to see my family tortured and killed. I don't want to be tortured and killed. And he gets ready to plunge it in, and Paul says... Stop. It's okay. We're all here. And he runs up to Paul and he says, please describe to me justification by faith alone. Are you serious? Do you really think that was the question he was worried about whenever he was going to plunge the knife into him? No. But our Western translators, sure makes it easy for a preacher, doesn't it? If that's what he was really asking. Makes it real easy for me. See, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to use the social gospel. You don't got to get life. Life doesn't have to be messy. No, all you got to do is believe. Come on. Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you really think his question was about salvation? In the Roman, back in the day before Modern and Western Christianity, there were lots of ways that that guard would have thought about the afterlife. There's a lot of things that he would have known about pagan gods and about what happens after life, after death, how you get to heaven, this, that, and the other, of which none of them would have included probably Jesus. None of them would have made this correlation between being saved means you go to heaven and not being saved means you go to hell. He, would have, he, would, he wouldn't have had any of that understanding. 
We all understand that because of the Western culture. We all believe that because we've been taught to believe that. We live in the Bible Belt. And 99.9% of churches have as their main focus this reality. we got to get them saved. Because if they're saved, then they're going to heaven and our work is done. And everyone who's not saved, well, whoo, good luck with that. And so we got to preach the gospel. we got to be verbal about it. we got to go after them. But that's not the issue right here. The issue that this guy had was, my family's going to be killed. My children are going to be killed. I'm going to be tortured and killed. For the love of St. Christopher, he runs up to the guys, and a better translation is this. Can you guys help me out in this mess that I'm in? That's what he really asked. I'm in this honky-dory, big, massive mess that I don't know how to get out of. I'm willing to kill myself to get out of it. Can you help me out here? That's the question. But it makes life messy, so we don't like to deal with it. Because if we believe that's the question that he asked, the response from Paul and Silas is the same response that we're supposed to deal with as well. If Paul and Silas aren't dealing with the spiritual question, if they're dealing with his real issue, then it makes things messy. And it asks the question, because of their response, it asks the question, do you believe that Jesus is the answer for every storm in your life? Not just the one about being saved or not saved. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer. If you proclaim his reign on earth in your life, that that's enough. Do you believe that that's the answer that will answer every question in your life? Because what we see Paul and Silas doing here is he, the guy comes with a non-spiritual question, really. What happens? He comes with a non-spiritual. I'm heading down the river of poo and I don't got a paddle here. Are you going to throw me a bone, guys? I'm in big trouble. I need, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself unless you tell me how to deal with the situation. So he asks a non-spiritual question about life. The same as the single mom who comes in every week or the person whose marriage is struggling who comes here every week is asking, who feels like, I want to get a divorce. I'm going to get a divorce. I don't have any hope. Their, their, their marriage is in suicidal situation. Or a a youth or a teen who's bullied every week and just doesn't want to go on. Or somebody who has been out of work for 9 or 10 or 11 or 24 months. They walk in the door and they say, Jesus, do you have a solution for me? Preacher, are you going to tell me the truth about the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does my problem fit? Can he help me here? And Paul and Silas, notice what they do. They don't, they don't say, look, dude, we're Romans. You're in the clear. They're going to release us tomorrow. You're not going to have to worry about that at all. They don't answer the question that the guy's asking, do they? But they answer it in a spiritual way. He asks a non-spiritual question. They see his life and go, oh, yeah, we got your answer, baby. We have answers that you don't know that you're asking. Let me tell you, you want out of that problem Jesus is the solution. And he'll deal with that problem, and he'll deal with this problem, and he'll deal with that problem. That's what we see him doing. And so, for us, the danger as a church that is 
multidimensional in how we produce and live out the gospel is we believe it's Jesus and the White House. It's Jesus and the street corner ministry. How do you find salvation? It's Jesus and I'll go pay your electric bills. It's Jesus and I'll go on mission trips to make God happy. It's Jesus and. That's the danger for a church like us. And that's not the right answer. The answer is Jesus. Period. Believe in Jesus and he'll change your life. Believe in Jesus and he'll change your life. That has to be the foundation of all of our responses as people come in those doors. We can flash the programs. We can flash the, all the things that we're doing. And they're amazing things that God, you know, he's doing at River City Church. But if we aren't demonstrating the reign and rule of Jesus in our life, if we are not worshiping him with everything that we have, then we are selling people false hope. It is only in the name of Jesus. It's only in his reign in our life that we can bring hope to anybody. You see, Paul and Silas knew that. He saw him ask a non-spiritual question. He answered with Jesus, with the understanding that it's Jesus and only Jesus that can bring true transformation. When I was preparing this talk, and I was thinking about it last night, God brought this reality to me. I just started worshiping, and it was a thanksgiving that he showed me this multidimensional gospel that is awkwardly messy at times as we get involved with people's lives. But then he just simplified it too, and he said, but my kingdom moves forward, Antley, with people who ferociously preach the name Jesus Christ. That's how my kingdom moves forward. Not by all the social ministry, not by the songs we sing, not by the stuff that happens in here. There is one way that life transformation happens. It's people ferociously claiming Jesus Christ in his reign. Because what we believe is this, the Christian, what we believe the Christian worldview is this, is that all the brokenness in life, all the pain in life, all the jacked up stuff that's going on with your business, all the political stuff that's happening in our country or in the world, all the stuff that's happening in your family or wherever, all of the, that stuff in your life, what we believe, the Christian worldview is this, Jesus is the answer. That is a result of the broken and fallen world that we live in. And Jesus is the answer. That one day he will return and fix all of that. All of that will be fixed. But what's so cool about our church is that we believe it can be fixed now. We believe the gospel is alive and real now. And that the, the opportunity for us, when people walk in those doors and have those questions and have those issues in their life, there's no problem that's beyond Jesus. The question is, though, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer for every one of your questions, every one of your problems in life? Or do you treat it like it's Jesus and this? Jesus and they got to go to that school. Jesus and maybe if they go to that college. Jesus and maybe if I wear those clothes. Jesus and maybe if I do the marriage course. Jesus, not that these, any of these things are bad. Jesus and maybe I'll read this book. Jesus and maybe I'll start dancing in worship. Jesus and maybe I'll join the worship team. 
Jesus and whatever, fill in the blank. That's the danger, folks. And my question is, and the answer from Paul and Silas is, it's Jesus, period. End of story. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you give like that? Half the people just decide they're not coming to the town hall tonight. Do you live like that? I had a great thought the other day. I don't. I'm just telling you right now I don't. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I want to put a, I had this, I had this idea. I want to put a pill bottle, a medicine bottle by my children's medicine that says God on it. Because I often think it's prayer plus medicine <laughs> brings healing for my kids. I don't even give God a chance. And so what I want to do is in my little cabinet of medicine, I want to put a big God pill bottle just to remind me, Jesus, give him a chance. Do you believe he's enough? Do you really believe that? Do you give and live like that? I struggle to. I really struggle to. Sir, what must I do to be saved? I'm in this prison I'm in this prison. Can the God who freed you bring freedom to me? Isn't that our question? Ultimately, isn't that our question? We're all in a prison at some level, in some way, because of our attitudes, temperament, sin, brokenness, baggage, whatever. And the question that we're asking this morning, that I hope you're asking this morning, Jesus, can you bring freedom to me in this area? If what Antley is saying is true, can you break me out? Of the prison that I'm in. Paul and Silas say, yeah. He can break you out. He'll break you out just like he broke us out. And the the way that it works is you come to Jesus. It's why we have prayer ministry, folks, after every service. Because it's in prayer ministry that we meet Jesus. And we experience his power and his transformation. And his love and his grace. And that's what we're after. It's transformation. And we believe at River City Church that transformation only comes through Jesus Christ. Believing in the name of Jesus. I was going to run up and down the aisle shouting, Jesus, do you believe? Jesus reigns. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus reigns? Does Jesus reign in your life? Is his kingdom, is that what is most important? It's so hard. That's what we're after as a church. That's what we try to get to every week. It's getting you to believe that simple truth. Experience that simple truth when you come up for ministry. Sing about it in worship. I love what Paul was doing. I love whenever Paul's working on a new album or whatever, like RCC3, and he starts singing Jesus, the center of it all. I wonder, is that the next song? You know, like, is that going to be the next song? Is that going to be the next song or whatever? But, I mean, he just went into a chorus, totally unmarked. What's that all about? Jesus, the center of it all. Every week, that's what our, our worship team goes for every week. Is Jesus the center of it all for you? Is he? Is he the center of it all? He has to be. He needs to be. We need to make him the center of it all. 
That's what we're after as a church. Everything that we do, every ounce of effort, every staff person we've hired, is to give hope to people who are imprisoned in real ways and to say, Jesus Christ is the answer. I have a person in my neighborhood that's my spiritual solution, and he's got a jacked up life. It's not that. He's my neighbor. But, um, so I just want to make that clear. That's like, I'm Antley's spiritual solution. Oh boy, what's he going to talk about now? I promise it's not that, all right? But this guy, you know, he's got custody issues. He's got issues, multiple divorces, you know, maybe substance abuse stuff. I don't know. Work stuff. I don't know. He's unhappy. I talk to him all, you know, I walk around the neighborhood and I'll, I'll see him out and I'll kind of make an effort. And the, this week I, and no one likes him in our neighborhood but me, I think. I love him. I used to not like him, but God put him on my heart. And I've been praying for him. I hope he's not here. I thought about that because I have invited him. If you're here, neighbor, I love you, and I'm about to reveal my scheme. But um, I've actually told some of my other neighbors who don't like him that this guy's my spiritual illusion. I explain what spiritual illusions were and everything. They think I'm crazy. But um, I was talking to him, and every time I, I pray before I go talk to him every time, I'm just waiting for him to open the door so that I can tell him about Jesus. And I love him, and I love him, and I love him, and I love him. And I'm trying to love him, and I'm just trying to be real and talk to him. But after preparing the sermon last night when I was worshiping, there's just something in my heart that said, Jesus, will you open the door? You're the only one who's going to have any impact on this person. You're the one. You're the only one. And my heart just welled up with this reality that, yes, I believe Jesus you can do this. And when I invite people to River City Church on Sundays, it's because I know that Jesus is in this house and that when they come and experience him, they're going to be changed because he's the only way. Let's stand.